Hi, I'm Scott McLaughlin, driver of the number three Team Penske Chevy, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. We are proud and honored to bring Penske Truck Rental to the show as the presenting sponsor of Pit Pass Indy. We will continue to cover the entire NTT IndyCar Series community, and our new partners at Penske Truck Rental will help us tell those stories. Roger Penske has earned the name The Captain as a captain of industry and the winningest team owner in major auto racing history, including a record 18 wins in the Indianapolis 500. On today's show, however, it's time to meet the mayor of Hinchtown. It's James Hinchcliffe, the popular former IndyCar driver who won six IndyCar races in his career before making the big career move to NBC. Hinchcliffe brings his unique insight, expertise, and humor to the NBC broadcast booth as a color analyst of its racing telecast. He joins Lee Diffie and fellow analyst Townsend Bell on NBC's coverage of the NTT IndyCar series. But Hinchcliffe is far from having a one-track mind as he also serves on selected NBC telecasts of IMSA and NASCAR races. NBC is the home of the NTT IndyCar Series and will telecast the PPG 375 from Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday, April 2nd. The broadcast begins at 12 noon Eastern Time. As a former driver, Hinchcliffe knows the innermost stories in the NTT IndyCar Series paddock and joins me for this exclusive interview for Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is James Hinchcliffe of NBC Sports. James remains a very popular figure in the IndyCar paddock, winner of six NTT IndyCar Series races. James, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. The season's already underway. We're off to Texas Motor Speedway for this weekend's race at Texas, the first oval of the season and the oval before the Indianapolis 500. What's your outlook heading to Texas? What should we expect to see? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think uh, I think the last few years in Texas, you know, we it's no it's no secret that since the repave, the racing there has not quite been, you know, uh, like it was in vintage Texas, so to speak. And, uh, and last year, you know, they tried something a little bit different with that second lane practice to try to open that lane up a little bit. I think between that and just the surface maturing, uh, NASCAR using a different, uh, different compound in that second lane than what they were using the first few years. Uh, and then IndyCar is actually going back with quite a bit more downforce this year. 
So I'm, I'm really hoping that all those things together are, uh, are going to, you know, combine to make for a much more exciting and sort of, you know, vintage Texas race uh, like we've been used to in the past. That's, that's the hope. We'll see. Certainly the, uh, the Penske's have been quick there the last few years. They've got a pretty good track record in that spot. But uh, as long as it's a good race, I think the fans will be happy. So the season got underway on March 5th with the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. It was a little bit of an action-packed wild race. We saw two cars go airborne. Was some of that the fact that we had such a large field, 27 cars on such a tight race course? I, I think that contributes, certainly. You know, if, if you think of where the majority of that first lap accident happened, you know, it was sort of the car's. I don't know, 18th back. I don't know exactly where Ferrucci started, um, but it's kind of him turning Elio that that caused the mayhem. I know it was all checked up from, uh, from Felix, you know, getting into the wall there. But if you think there was only four cars behind them, it'd be a much less dramatic accident than there being, you know, eight cars behind them. So I think for sure that that plays into it. But also the nature of street circuit racing and, you know, close quarters racing in the IndyCar series, you're going to see things like that. Um, at any street circuit, I think, just with how tight and competitive the field is. So, uh, like we had just mentioned, there's a 27-car starting lineup for most of the IndyCar Series races this season, the most since back in the earlier last decade when we had unification, when the uh, size of the field swelled uh, with the addition of the teams from the Champ Car Series with the old Indy Racing League teams. But this is a little bit different. We have a lot of teams that seem to be uh, pretty well-funded, sponsored. And how do you see the health of the NTT IndyCar Series in 2023? It seems to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with, with that fact. You know, you've got, uh, as you say, uh, almost not quite a record number, but certainly an uncharacteristically large field, you know, given the last sort of decade of, of IndyCar racing. And and as you said, they're all, they're all strong efforts. You know, they're all well-funded. They're all... Um, you know, they're all programs that can go out and, and be competitive on any given day. So, um, you know, we're not having any of these mom and pop teams that scrape together enough funding to get to a few races a year and running around three seconds off the pace. You know, the entire field's probably within a second. Uh, and it just, uh, yeah, it shows that the health, that the health of the sport is, is quite good. And, you know, teams, drivers, and, and sponsors are seeing IndyCar as, uh, as a great place to be spending their, their time and money. We saw a couple of drivers that are very aggressive. One is Ramon Grosjean and also Scott McLaughlin. They got involved in a uh, fight for the lead late in the race at St. Petersburg. That's pretty much exactly what you want to see happen. You want to see the two fastest drivers in a race fight it out for position. Didn't end up well. They both ended up in the tire barrier. But do you look at that as more of a case of really good, hard racing than anything else? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think both drivers were 10-10s were going for the win. And uh, I think either driver in the other's shoes would have done the same thing and probably had the same result. That's just, uh, that's just the nature of good, hard competitive racing. You know, if this had been at Barber or Mid-Ohio or whatever, they would have got off into the dirt, come back on track, and probably still been on the podium. Just because it was a street circuit, you know, unfortunately, they both ended up out of the race. And that, that's the real shame. And, you know, two drivers and two teams that did an incredible job all weekend long and were doing a great job on the day, putting on a great show for the fans, you know, didn't get a result that they deserved. Uh, but at the same time, the entertainment factor, I think, was through the roof. So the, uh, you know, those two may not have won the race, but I would say that uh, the fans were the big winners of how it all played out. 
No, when you look at the competitive level that exists in IndyCar today, a lot of people seem to think, and it's and it's pretty hard to argue, but if you have a 27-car field, it's probably 20 to 22 cars on any given race could probably win. And I don't think we've ever seen a field that deep. How do you estimate the number of potential race winners that are in the IndyCar field this season? Yeah, I think your number's probably pretty accurate. You know, I think 20 is probably not uh, not that far-fetched. Certainly, you know, 20 cars capable of getting themselves up on the podium if something goes, you know, your way. When you look in St. Pete, I think in Q2, the difference between P5 and P10 was, like, they were all in the same 10. And so that's, that's what's going to make this year so exciting is, you know, being a 10th off the base used to maybe cost you a spot. Now it can cost you four, five, six spots. And that just means that a, a bad day goes from being a sixth place to a 16th place. And that really can shake up the championship quite a bit. So I think it's, uh, you know, qualifying got even more important in 2023 than they have been in the past. And, and that's saying something because, you know, passing's already at a premium. The, the field is so tight that qualifying has always been a huge emphasis. But I think now, you know, more than ever, you really got to be able to maximize those laps on Saturday because, like we said, there are, you know, 20 cars that can go out there and fight the podiums and win. And there's a lot of talented young drivers that are in the series now. How do you evaluate just how much of this young talent is coming up and how important that is for the future of the series? It's massively important. You know, you've got sort of, it's funny that you're already kind of looking at the older, younger guys being people like Colton Herta and Pato Award uh, that already have, you know, a handful of seasons under their belt. And then the young, young guys, your Cal Milots and your Cal Kirkwoods and, and Christian Lundgaards, uh, you know, the, the field is incredibly talented with a, a heavy emphasis of the younger drivers. Obviously, you still have your, your Scott Dixons, your, uh, your Will Powers, and kind of guys of that generation. There's sort of this middle ground with the Alex Rossies and Felix Rosenquist and Joseph Newgarden, uh, and then a, a really heavy group of these younger drivers that are showing incredible speed early, uh, great racecraft. They're, they're getting good results, even with some of the smaller teams. And so I think it, it speaks, you know, very well for the, the future of this sport and this series in terms of, you know, driver talent and, and the future stars of the IndyCar series. But of course, you've got some great veteran drivers. You have to start, of course, with Scott Dixon, the six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion, second winningest IndyCar driver of all time. He's still as good as ever, as fast as ever. Do you marvel sometimes at the fact that he has been so good for so long? I mean, there's, there's lots of things about Scott Dixon that I marvel at. That is one of that is one of them. <laughs> but there are there are many others that go along in that category. You know, his, his track record speaks for itself, and it's just so so impressive. There is not uh, there's not a driver on the grid that doesn't you know dream of emulating Scott's abilities in almost any scenario, and, and his. Uh, is winning record, you know, six championships. That that really speaks for itself. And and majority of those came in, you know, what was an era of IndyCar racing that even many of the greats from 30, 40 years ago would say was much more competitive and, and hard to win that number of races and that number of championships compared to when they did it. So, you know, when you've got guys like, you know, Mario Andretti, admitting that this era was probably more difficult to win, you know, 50 plus races than, than his era, that's saying something because he's pretty much the greatest of all time. So it's, uh, it's super impressive that, 
you know, Scott's accomplished what he has, and he is still just as fast and still winning races. So I, I, I don't think we've seen the end of Scott Dixon in terms of winning races, championships, and Indy 500. Another driver who may not get the attention he deserves as being one of the best drivers in IndyCar history, but you could make a strong case when you look at the accomplishments for Will Power. He's the all-time winningest pole leader. He's got 41 IndyCar victories. He's won two championships. He's won an Indianapolis 500. But when you start talking about the greats of the great, his name at least deserves to be in that conversation. How do you feel about uh, where Will Power stands in the history of, of IndyCar racing in terms of great drivers? No, there's, there's no doubt he's in the conversation. You know, his, his pole record is one that, man, I, I, I don't see being beat any time in, in, you know, I, I don't think in my lifetime. Uh, it's just, it's so impressive what, what he's been able to accomplish, you know, from a qualifying standpoint. And then, like you say, 40-something wins. He's not done with those. He has two championships. But you got to remember, he went through that stretch of three consecutive years finishing runner-up. So he could have, you know, with, with one race going a different way in all three of those seasons, he could be a five-time champion at this point of his career. So I think you have to definitely give him, you know, a ton of credit and, and put him in that, uh, in that conversation. Because, again, it happened in this modern era when IndyCar is, is ultra-competitive and, uh, and he's performed, you know, year in and year out with very few exceptions. And, of course, another driver that's had a pretty good run with two championships and he's finished second in the championship the last couple of years, Joseph Newgarden over at Team Penske. Is he pretty much the one driver that a lot of people in the field kind of look at as that's the guy you got to go out and beat every week if you're going to be battling for a championship? I mean, it's hard to argue after the season he had last year. You know, I, I know they came up a bit short on the championship, but man, five race wins in a series as competitive as the IndyCar series is. You know, we, we talk about how competitive it is and how deep the talent pool is. And to think that one guy still managed to pull off five wins, it's it's pretty shocking. And uh, and I think right now, yeah, based on last year, you have to look at, at Joseph and the two squad as, as the benchmark for uh, for execution on Sunday. You know, he's not maybe... Uh, you know, he doesn't have Will's track record in terms of, of polls, but, uh, man, he's bringing home those race wins at an incredible rate. And, and like you say, a couple of runner-up championship finishes to go along with his, his titles. Again, a few of those, you know, one of those races and a few of those years goes a different way, and we're looking at a three- or four-time IndyCar champion, and, and he's still in his early 30s. So when you think that Dario didn't win his first championship until he was 34 and then went on to collect four of them, you know, Joseph could be the, the kind of guy that's going to be up in that in that bracket with Scott Dixon, you know, by the time he hangs up his helmet in terms of number of championships. Now, a driver that I think has been very impressive the last two years, actually uh, the last couple of years, but was a little bit under the radar until he went and won the Indianapolis 500 last year was Marcus Erickson. The fact that he's gotten off to a, a fast start in 2023 with a championship do you see this driver really coming of age right now that he's going to be a uh, contender basically every weekend? Yeah, honestly, I mean, I was super impressed with Marcus last year and, and it started at the first race. It, it wasn't the Indy 500 for me that, that opened my eyes to what he was capable of. It really was St. Pete. Um, and again, in Long Beach, and then, you know, we get to Indy and he does what he does there. Um, the thing for me about Marcus is every single year in the IndyCar series, he has gotten better. There has been some element of his game that's improved every single season. Uh, he's never plateaued. You know, he's never sort of 
sat back and, and rested on, you know, what he's done or the level he was at. He's always pushing to be better. And, and you're seeing the results of that. Hugely benefited by being with a great team and a lot of great teammates to learn from. But I just love that his, his rate of learning, you know, has not slowed down. And uh, based on how he started the season, uh, you know, he's, he's absolutely in contention today. And we saw last year, you know, with some good consistent finishes, knocking off another win or two, he can absolutely be, you know, in that fight coming to Gunas Vega. Now I'm going to ask you about a couple of your former teammates over at Andretti Autosport. One is now the elder statesman of that team, and he's only 22, 23 years old. It's uh, Colton Herta. When you think about a driver that young being the elder statesman of a race team like that, there are older drivers on the team, of course, but nobody's been at Andretti Autosport with this collection of drivers longer than Colton. Every time I talk to him, I have a hard time believing he's as young as he is. Did you ever discover that when you were his teammate? Oh, for sure. You know, definitely uh, wise beyond his years and mature beyond his years. Uh, he is he is so tuned in to what he needs out of a race car. Um, he didn't have to do a lot of learning uh, about how to go fast when he got up into the series. He had a couple other lessons to learn, but, you know, he definitely learned them. And, uh, you know, I, I, it is funny to think of him, you know, as the, as the elder statesman. It's like we were saying earlier, you look at guys like Pato and Colton as not, not quite the young, young guys. They're the old young guys at this point going into their fifth season. Um, but, no, I mean, you know, he's, he's proved his, uh, his, his capacity for winning races. And uh, he and the team just need to make sure that they, they execute really well on, on Sundays. Um, there's been a couple missed opportunities the last few years. And, uh, I think if they can clean that up and he can go back to being a genuine championship contender, he was a few years ago, uh, last year, you know, the whole team sort of took a, a step back, but, um, man, it's, it's hard to, to bet against kind of Colton on, on any race weekend. We'll be right back to pit pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. 
On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Here is the rest of my exclusive interview with former IndyCar driver James Hinchcliffe of NBC Sports for Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Now, the other teammate that I wanted to ask you about, or former teammate that is, he's now moved over to Arrow McLaren, and that's Alexander Rossi. Do you believe that a change in scenery will really do him good? I do. I do. I think, uh, you know, I think they had a lot of success together, uh, him and, and Andretti Autosport. But as they say, all good things must come to an end. And I think a change of scenery is definitely uh, is definitely something that was good for both sides. And, you know, the, the thing about the way the series is right now, with only kind of two days of testing, uh, three days of testing tops before the season starts, it's a big ask to switch teams, switch manufacturers. You know, it's an all new program over there for them to try to get up to speed. And like we say, a series that's this, that's this competitive. So I thought the job that they did at St. Pete was, was terrific. Just staying out of trouble, racing their own race, pulling home a top five, you know, that's a, that's a program there on the seven car. That's just going to keep getting better and better. And so to, uh, to take those weekends when they might not start off the strongest, and still bring home a top five, that's, uh, that's a huge result for them. And like I said, I, I think that we're just going to see improvements uh, week after week from that organization, especially on the seven car, as, uh, as the season goes on. Speaking of that organization, it really looked like Pato Award was on his way to victory in the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg before he had the momentary plenum issue on the uh, Chevrolet engine. Do you look at him as a case that once that he's still searching for his sweet spot, he's a very aggressive driver, probably uh, should have maybe won a few more races than he has right now. But you know when he's out there on the racetrack because he's out there fighting as hard as he can to, for the lead. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I thought we saw a really mature drive from, from Pato and St. Pete. You know, he didn't have the pace in Scotty the pace of, of Roman and he didn't force a mistake uh, trying to catch those guys. You know, even that first stint when, uh, when Grosjean and Herda were just sort of driving away from him, he, he held his pace. You know, I think even early on, he accepted that they were probably the third best car that day. And those are the days that you have to just take those results. So yeah, he got sort of gifted the lead when, uh, when the accident between, between uh, McLaughlin and, and Grosjean happened. And then was sort of robbed of the lead when uh, when he had his issue. But at the same time, he was running third before those two got together. He ends up finishing second. So if I'm him, I'm trying to ignore the fact that I was briefly leading that race and came two laps away from winning it. I'm just looking at, hey, I could have been third. I ended up second. That's still a really positive start. And I, like I said, I think it was a really mature drive because they weren't the fastest, but uh, they would put themselves in a position to still win the race. And that's what they need to do when they're not having the weekend with the fastest car and uh, and bring home those strong results, even on, on weekends when it's not going their way. Another top driver in the series, uh, Alex Polo, last year created his own controversy to agree when he at one point seemed to have two different contracts at the same time. Uh, announced that he was going to go to McLaren in 2023. Chip Ganassi said, no, I have you under contract. You're still on the team. 
but yet he was able to block out all the noise and still go out and race hard and race spectacularly, especially by his victory in the, the last race of last season at Laguna Seca when he basically won that race, the margin of victory. He was, he was over in Salinas while everybody else was in Monterey, it seemed like. But do you marvel a little bit about how he was able to mentally focus on not letting the distractions interfere with his racing? I mean, there's two ways to look at it, Bruce. You could look at what he accomplished the year before, uh, you know, a couple of victories, winning the championship, a lot of podium finishes, and say, you know, the, the fifth, I think, he finished in the championship last year, didn't win a race until the last race of the season. You could argue that while he did a phenomenal job, it still actually did affect him. You know, I think the bigger surprise is that we didn't see a win from Alex until the last race of the season. Now, there are examples that Ohio stands out as one that, frankly, I think he should have won. He got sort of robbed of the timing of the yellow there. But at the same time, I think even he, no matter how good you are at blocking that stuff out, it's still always going to affect your race weekends a little bit. There seemed to have been a resolution before we got to Laguna, and then, boom, look what happened. You know, I think you won that race by, uh, I think if you took the winning margins of every other of the 16 rounds of the season and combined them, it was still less than what Alex won by in Laguna. So we know he's incredibly talented. I think the way that he won the championship in 2021 sort of rewrote the approach for a few other drivers, Will Power included, who used it to great effect to win the championship in 2022. So I, uh, I think that now with his situation a little more sorted, no surprises. I don't think anyone's expecting any surprises this year uh, from, from that camp in terms of, you know, what he's doing or where he's going. He sort of has his future set now. He can just focus and, and get back to doing what he does so well. And again, this, this driver is going to be in the fight for the championship when we get to the last race. I have no doubt about it. And then there's another young driver from Great Britain, Callum Eilat. He's driving for one of the smaller teams in the series, but he seems to be able to make the most with what he's got. And how impressed are you by what he's been able to do? Well, huge. You know, when you look at him coming into the this, this series full-time last year as a rookie, you know, he hadn't uh, driven an Indy Lights. He didn't know most of the racetrack, but in all the racetrack. And uh, in a first-year uh, program uh, for IndyCar with, with Uncos, they had some really impressive performances. Now you come back uh, a year, fast forward, and you see that group's expanded to two cars. They have a bunch more investment. They've just, you know, improved the team, I think, really in, in every measurable way. And Cal's coming back with a, a season of experience and kicks off the season with a top five, you know. So uh, that that guy has proven he's got an incredible amount of ability. You know, we know that there were other teams sniffing around, trying to maybe lock a contract up with him at some point last year before he committed to a long-term future with Uncle Solinger. And I think, you know, that says a lot about what he believes that team's capable of in the future and where they're going. And, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what they can accomplish this year because it's been a great start. I'm sure you were also very happy with the news that one of your longtime competitors and good friends, Ryan Hunter Ray, will be returning to the 107th Indianapolis 500 with Dreyer and Reinbold Racing. He was a teammate of yours in Andretti Autosport. He did not compete in any IndyCar races last year. How happy are you to see him get another chance to race at the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, I'm thrilled. You know, I, I really am thrilled for him. He uh, He's such a phenomenal talent and, and still has a huge desire to race, you know, IndyCars at the 500 and, uh, and to win that race again. You know, he, he's done it once. 
back in 2014. And, uh, and I think that that fire for a second one is, is burning just as strong as the desire for that first one. And I, and I really think he won that race just fueled by pure desire. No one was going to beat him that day. And he still has that in him. So it's, it's exciting for him to be back. It's going to be a very different sort of program for him than what he's, what he's been used to at Andretti Autosport for the last sort of decade of his career there. But, uh, but hey, man, we've seen these one-off rides and, and smaller teams pull off wins in the past. You think of 2016, you think of uh, 2011. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what he can do with that program because it's a, it's a month of May-focused program. Everyone that's on that car is, is fully committed to just making sure that they're quick at the speedway. And uh, I'm excited to, to be able to call his name in, uh, in a 500 this year. You won six NTT IndyCar Series races in your career. You had a career that was uh, filled with a lot of adversity, but you were very popular with the fans. Always had time to talk to the fans, an engaging personality. You don't race anymore, but you seem to have made a seamless transition over to the broadcast with NBC Sports. Are you surprised at how well the transition has gone from you to leave the cockpit to be able to sit in the booth and give your analysis? Uh, yeah, I'm it's certainly in some ways, uh, I am. Yeah. Uh, not, <laughs> you know, stepping into that sort of, uh, that sort of scenario with no real training or background in it is, is a daunting thought and, uh, you know, not knowing how it was going to be being at a race weekend and, and not being behind the wheel. There were kind of a lot of question marks going into it, but then when you get to know the crew that, that works, you know, those races for NBC, it's not surprising at all because it's just such an incredible group. Obviously, sharing the booth with Liam Townsend is, is such a is such a blessing. Something I'm so lucky to get to do, and I've learned so much from those guys. But then, you know, everyone behind the scenes as well. The entire team, uh, you know, at NBC Sports is uh, they're so professional. They made it so easy for you know the new guy to jump in, and, and almost sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And uh, and so it's been so much fun and, and very rewarding working with everyone there. And, and hopefully, it's something we get to do for you know many many years to come. And you also have been on some of the NASCAR telecasts, especially when NASCAR's at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Jeff Burton was telling me how good you were doing those. What do you see as being your secret for being able to understand the sport, not only of IndyCar, but also NASCAR, IMSA, other sports? You drove in some IMSA races, but NASCAR, I'm sure, was a, a new challenge for you. What do you see as being the secret for your ability to understand what's going on with those series yeah i mean nascar was certainly a new experience for me hadn't driven those cars formula one was the same thing uh we did those races last year and, and i think i think it comes from uh, the fact that i'm a fan of motorsports you know i follow all these series religiously and uh, i've got a good sense of kind of the, the ebb and flow of, of their seasons and and they know a little bit about their drivers and i've read a lot about those cars and at the end of the day, you know, motorsports is motorsports. I think, you know, the, the difference in cars is going to be a 10% difference, but 90% of it's going racing. And that's, that's the same no matter what you're driving. And uh, I think my experience in IndyCar obviously sets me up well for that. And then uh, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, talking to the, to the drivers that do this, you know, in those series and, and learn what I can. Um, you know, I, I've always really enjoyed educating people about motorsports, you know, and, and I did it a ton as a driver, whether you're at, you know, at the track talking to fans or at a, a sponsor event, maybe meeting some people that are, that are new to the sport. I always really enjoyed, you know, kind of conveying some of the intricacies of the sport as best I can. 
Uh, and so that's a, it's, I think it's a talent that I slowly developed, you know, off track during, during my time as a driver that now I get to do with the microphone to, uh, to the millions of people watching at home. And, and, and that's what I love doing is just sharing that knowledge with, uh, with everybody at home. Now, as a race driver, you prepared for races in engineering debriefs. In broadcasting, you have production meetings. Are there a lot of similarities between the two? Honestly, there are there are a few for sure. Less uh, less graphs and charts in uh, in production meetings, but uh, it, it's all about coming up with a plan. You know, it's all about uh, looking at what you want to accomplish and, and how the best way is to go about doing that. And then going out at the time and executing. And, you know, what I, what I love about, you know, doing these broadcasts is once the, once the red light comes on, you know, you're live, there's no do-overs, you can't, there's no takes, you know, it's just like the race. It's like the green flag dropping in a sense. And, uh, and when it all goes well, you know, when you go off air, it's like the checkered flag falling and you kind of high five your crew, you high five everyone on the broadcast, say great show, you know, we, we did a good job. And so, that sort of thrill of, of doing it live, I think, is uh, is another thing that sort of you know translates from uh, from one of those from from my first career to my second one. With six IndyCar victories in your career, do you sometimes look back and think what might have been? I know it's easy for some people to to maybe look back and think what might have been, but you seem to have accepted the fact that it's time to move to a different phase of your career now that it's in broadcasting, but there are still those moments where you wish you were still in the cockpit of a race car. Well, I think, you know, I I always went into my career wanting to, uh, wanting to sort of make sure that when it ended, you know, it was a little bit on my terms and uh, I didn't want to be one of those, you know, a driver that, that hung on too long and, and probably, you know, ran a few seasons past their prime sort of thing. And, um, well, for sure, there are times where I miss driving, you know, I, I look at the timing of, of when I made that decision and, uh, certain factors, personal, professional, everything that sort of comes together. And when you remove the emotion from it and, and just look at it logically, it was, it was absolutely the right time to do it. And, um, yeah, like I said, there, there are times where, uh, where I miss driving a race car, but there's a lot of things about that side of the business that I don't miss. And so very happy, uh, very happy where I am at the moment. And wrapping up here with James Hinchcliffe on pit pass Indy presented by Penske truck rental. The NBC telecast is coming up this weekend from Texas motor speedway. Is there anything in particular that the viewers may want to look out for with uh, your broadcast? You, you got to tune in to, to find out anyway. I think that, uh, I think it's going to be an exciting race. Like I said, there's a lot of, a lot of changes and developments I think that are going to make the Texas race a little more exciting. So, um, Honestly, yeah, tune in to watch why I think it's going to be a great race and then communicate with us on Twitter, on, you know, social media. Let us know what you want to see. Let us know what you think we should do more of, less of. You know, we're always open to uh, to the viewers' opinions on those things. And uh, we just want to put on the best show possible and, and make sure you guys are, are getting a good show. So uh, hopefully we, uh, we see you on the broadcast. He's known as the mayor of IndyCar, and he certainly got my vote. James Hinchcliffe of NBC Sports. Good luck on this weekend's broadcast from Texas Motor Speedway. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. We want to thank our guest. 
former IndyCar Series driver James Hinchcliffe of NBC Sports for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. And because of our guests and listeners, Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is proud to be the winner of the best podcast by the National Motorsports Press Association. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.